Go ahead and open in a word of prayer. Father, uh, I just pray that you'd help us handle our business. Not just with kids ministry, but with our own families, with our own lives, with our own uh, talents and gifts, and our own creativity, the opportunities you put in front of us, with all the things that you've given us, that we would just take that and and look at the work you've given us, the, the fields that are right, that, that you've called us to, and, and that we would just go out and we'd handle it. And we just pray that in Christ's name. Amen. We're, uh, we're in a series called Give Your Life Away. And it's really, uh, it's, it's really just taking Jesus' words as straightforward as, as they are in Scripture. I remember when, when I was 22 and... and and my relationship, like true relationship with Christ began there. I remember just this unbelievable experience I had where reading the Bible and I'm like, this doesn't sound anything like that, that youth pastor that I knew when I was in high school. Like for, you know, I mean, when I was in high school and I was listening to the words of, of bad pastors, it was, it was so just easy just do this one thing and that's all you got to do in the rest of your life you just go live for yourself because you, you you've given God the one thing he wants which is just a token kind of whatever and and I and that that's the way I kind of walked forward and it was just like I'm gonna live my own life because I already gave God the one thing he wants and he's now obligated to forgive me all the messes I make so I'm just gonna go make a bunch of messes he's gonna pick them up anyways you know and and then I read the Bible and I, I read Jesus's words and I was just blown away how straightforward they were and the expectations that Christ had that, that our life, if we're following him, is no longer going to be our own. It's going to be his and it belongs to him and he's going to use it in a very sacrificial, servant-hearted, kind of missional kind of way. And I just remember being blown away by that. So my parents, I went home um, from college and they had the pastor over for Thanksgiving. We're sitting around the Thanksgiving table and I just... Uh, I was a little jerk back then, um, but I just remember grilling them. Like, what's wrong with you people? What are you teaching in these churches? What are you teaching to these high school kids? Like, if the Bible says this, how can you say this? And I just remember being like at that Thanksgiving, and, and, and I wanted to say so much more, but like I could see my dad staring at me, you know, and I just, but it just was so frustrating to me. And, and so this, serv- uh, this sermon series, what we're kind of doing here at Antioch, it's not trying to contrive anything it's just taking Jesus' words and saying, these are Jesus' words. Uh, he's saying, if you look for your life, you will lose it. If you search for your life, you will lose it. If you focus on yourself, you're not going to get it. But if you lose your life for my sake, if you give your life away, then you'll find it. And so in some sense, we're, we're taking Christ's, calls, uh, Christ's call of discipleship and we're just as straightforward as we can, but we're also beginning to understand his promise of rewards and blessing a lot more clearly. That The thing that really should motivate me, the stuff that I'm looking to get, the, the, the blessing, the good stuff, the things I desire are ultimately going to be the blessings that come from him, not the stuff that I can accumulate over here, and that those two things are intention and it says, uh, A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite writers, said this. He says, you can't enter the presence of God while you're rebelling against God. 
You can't enter the presence of God while you're rebelling against God. And Jesus says, give your life away. If you seek for your life, you're going to lose it. And, and we can't seek for our own life and at the same time come into worship and, and smile in front of God and raise our hands and say, isn't this wonderful, God? Because he, he, it's a disconnect. My kid can't be disobeying me in some sense or going against my will. I've got four kids and I see, I mean, I, I get this, right? They can't be expressly going against my will and choosing their own way and at the same time delighting in me as their father and, and rejoicing and saying, isn't this a wonderful relationship we've got? I mean, it's just two things are antithetical. And so Soren Kierkegaard says this, he says, it's so hard to believe because it's so hard to obey. It's so hard to believe because it's so hard to obey. And we begin to realize that this call of Christ to give our life away requires faith. Faith that he really knows what he's talking about. That if we really do give away our life, which is the greatest resource we have, and in some sense, the thing we want to protect the most, if we really give that away and we're vulnerable in that, we create a vulnerability that he's going to deliver, that, that he who makes those promises is going to be faithful. So our faith rests on our, our belief in the faithfulness of God. So the things we're talking about in this series are so central to our relationship with God, so central to our faith. And, and what, it, what it shows to me is something that I, I used to always talk about when I was a college pastor, that, that the reason we don't come to Christ um, is because we feel like he's going to give us the, the short end of the stick. And so if we, we stay on the edge and, and, and kind of way in the distance, we can be around Christ, but it's not going to put us in this position where Christ is going to pick us out of the crowd and then break us in half, like do something with our life. And so the way I picture that is, you guys know uh, English muffins, like English muffins? There's always a bad half to the English muffin. Um, I mean, there's always the, the desirable half where the, the edges come up and it like, and then there's the one where it just kind of falls off on the edges, like the edges are an afterthought and, and it's so unappealing. And we feel like if we give ourselves to Christ, we're going to get the bad half of the English muffin. And so we, we refrain from getting too close. We're Zacchaeus that wants to be in the crowd. We want to want to be a part of the show. We're enamored, but we, we want our own autonomy and our own sovereignty. And the opposite of that is this woman who's been suffering from a medical illness and she fights her way through the crowd, fights her way through just to grab hold of Jesus' cloak. And it shows us that we're the rich. We're threatened by Christ. Why? Because it's like the kid who comes to the party with all his toys and he looks around and he realizes none of the other kids have toys. I brought all the toys. What does that mean? They're going to be coming after my toys. I'm the one with the most, which means I stand to lose the most. And so the reason we, what we see when we know that we're like on the edges like Zacchaeus and we want to be a part of the show but we don't want to get too close, it shows us that we're rich because what we're really afraid of is losing what we've got. The woman who fought through the crowd, what did she show? She showed desperation. Like, I'm lost. 
without help. I'm lost unless there's, there's a savior or a redeemer or a doctor or someone who can heal me or, or just love me or touch me. And so that person fights through the crowd and gets a hold of Christ and, and Jesus says, because of your faith, you're healed. You recognize that when you had no hope, I'm really the only thing that's going to be your hope and that, that you know, no matter how difficult it is, I'm better than what you have without me. And so we're, we're the rich people. We're, we're afraid of um, Jesus getting a hold of our English muffin. When the reality is we're naked and blind. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. And poor and, and we're depressed and we're worried and we're stressed. I mean, you guys have coffee with you guys, right? I mean, if we turned in names, you know, and I mean... It would cover everybody in this room. Someone's going to rat you out. Um, you're needier than you think you are. And so this morning, as part of this whole thing of saying, look, we've got we to gotta finally stop and be confronted with this fact that Jesus calls us to give our life away. And in doing so, that act of faith, we're going to find our life. This morning, the specific thing we're talking about is comfort. We're talking about comfort. And so we purposely turned up the heater so that you guys would... Anyways... It was hot standing back there. We're going to talk about comfort. Now, um, Connie Gabbert, who's been doing this really cool artwork and stuff for us and the inserts in the bulletin and all that, um, we were talking about, oh, yeah, you should do like a recliner. And I didn't realize until I was putting my PowerPoint together that that's my chair at home. Like if any of you have been to my house, that my chair, that's the exact same chair. So this is a wrong picture. Don't, don't look at this picture. It's, <laughs> it really doesn't fit. Um, but we're talking about comfort. And this is something I learned in seminary. I had a professor say to me in seminary, we need to adjust our lives to fit the gospel. We need to adjust our lives to fit the gospel, not adjust the gospel to fit our lives. We need to adjust our lives to fit the truth, to fit the gospel, to fit what God says, what Christ teaches, what scripture has so clearly in, in red letters not adjust the gospel to fit our lives. My, my professor got this from Augustine. He kind of bent it from something Augustine said. And Augustine said this, if you believe what you like in the gospels and reject what you don't like, it is not the gospel you believe, but yourself. Augustine said this, if you believe what you like in the gospels and reject what you don't like, it is not the gospel you leave, believe, but yourself. You've created your own religion. You've created your own amalgam. You've created your own code. And it's not the code that matches scripture. So we need to adjust our lives to fit the gospel, not the other way around. In Matthew chapter 6, these are kind of familiar words. It'll be on the screen here. But Jesus says this, he talks about prayer and then he talks about fasting, which are spiritual disciplines. We're going to talk about those a little bit later, but he, he talks about prayer, talks about fasting. And then he gets to this point here, which is also a discipline kind of a thing. And he says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I thought about this in terms of a graph. Um, actually, this week I was, 
I don't know if you've ever read the book of Ecclesiastes, but Ecclesiastes is kind of this wisdom book in the Old Testament. And the writer of Ecclesiastes says over and over, meaningless, meaningless. It's, it's a chasing after the wind, the things of this life. In some sense, there's a futility to it. It's a chasing after the wind. And so I came to this passage, and, and I kind of graphed it this way. It's, we fight to get stuff and comfort, but it's like a bad investment. I mean, we work really hard and keep fighting. We can't stop. We can't slow down because we might slide backwards or lose some of what we've got, but it's, it's, it's a bad investment. It's going to all get taken from you in 60 years, 50 years, 30 years. I have someone I know that's, that's dealing with cancer. And, and all of a sudden it becomes really clear, like, meaningless, meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. There's a, a real futility in some sense to this picture. And Jesus says, don't, don't do this. Because that stuff, like, it can't last. And, and you can't ultimately protect it. Something's going to break in and take it. The economy is going to go south and take it from you. Cancer is going to come into your body, and you're going to have no control over that thing in your body destroying you. It, it's, it's a bad investment. So Jesus says, rather, you do something different. You, you give it away. You invest in something that, that can't be taken from you, that can't be lost, that's a, a worthwhile investment. You give your life away. You, you store up for yourself treasures in heaven. And what we realize is this, these two things are complete opposites. They're complete opposites. And so when we're talking about comfort today, we're saying that there's a, a tension between what we feel like we need to do and what we really need to do. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this. He says, one act of obedience is better than 100 sermons. Because we can listen to a whole lot of sermons and just take them in. It's part of the show. It's part of just what's going on. But one act of obedience of giving your life away is, is more important than 100 sermons. I was with one of my mentors this week a couple days ago, Ed Underwood, and he was talking about giving. Didn't mean to talk about money this week at all, but it was really interesting that he was talking about money. He's like, man, I have people in my church that always come to me and they say this. And they say, as soon as we get out of debt, then we're going to give. And Ed, he shoots really straight with people. It's a really interesting thing. I mean, Ed's in his 60s, been around the block, and he just tells it like it is. And he says to him, um, no, you won't. I'm like, what do you mean we won't? He says, the reason you're in debt is because of materialism. And the only way to get out of materialism is to give your money away. It's the only thing that, that changes your paradigm or your perspective so that you're not owned or controlled by materialistic desires. And so he just says, you want to get out of debt, start giving your money away. It says here, your, your, your heart is where your treasure is. So it's really hard for us to build up stuff or work for stuff or gather stuff and then say that our treasure is with God and the things of God. And so what Ed was saying to people is, give your money to God and now you've got God and your money and they're both over there and doing the things that, that are the, like the kingdom of God, the stuff God cares about. Guess where you're going to be? 
Well, I got nothing left over here. Like, I'm going to be over here where my money is working and where God is working. And so Ed's whole thing is, is um, you got to get at the heart of it. And so you give your stuff to God and your heart will follow. You, your heart is going to be where your treasure is. But you can't keep your treasure over here and think that you're going to be able to give your heart to God. It's a really interesting paradox. So you can, uh, this is my thought, you can tell a lot by what makes you uncomfortable. You can tell a lot by what bothers you. What bothers you this morning? Um, that people drive slow on the road in front of you? Uh, that, that you get cold pizza? That your favorite show is a rerun? You know, what, what really bothers you? Is it uh, that most of the people in the world tonight will go hungry? And that there's a million people a year that are trafficked against their will? A lot of those, a vast majority of them, are in, trapped in sex trafficking. Um, there's people that don't know what we know, don't have the opportunities that we have. You know, in southern Sudan, um, there's a greater chance, if I remember the statistic right, greater chance that, you'll, that a woman will die in um, childbirth or in infancy than that she'll get an education. I mean, it's so rare that a, a girl or a woman would get an education in Southern Sudan. It's, it's a fascinating thing. Well, what bothers you? Is it, is it stuff that's here? Or is it the stuff of this line here? And you can tell a lot about a person by what bothers them. And so when you're at coffee or when you're driving or when you're on the phone, what bothers you? What do you talk about? I hate so-and-so. They really bother me. So selfish. Um, you know, I hate the government because they just keep taking my stuff. Um, look, it might be worthwhile, like annoyances or whatever, but, but the, the real question here is that, that Jesus is asking is, and, and you see it over and over with his disciples. His disciples get mad that people slight them and that they get mad that things don't go their way and 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 there's also they get mad that their their kingdom isn't exploding and that the Romans aren't getting overthrown and they, there's all these things that bother them but Christ had this linear line all along the way and what bothered him was always kingdom things kingdom values the needy and the poor and the oppressed what bothered him was bad Christian leaders that took advantage of the weak and the needy. That bothered him too. And he was bothered by, by the reality of sin and the pain that it causes and that people need a doctor and people need him to come and, and gather them up like a mother hen would gather up the chicks. Jesus says that. He, he cried over it. He says, if only you knew I would come and I would gather you up and I would nurture you because you need that. You need me. And Jesus is bothered by that. And people come to him and said, hey, there's no food. What are we going to do? And Jesus says, well, we'll take care of the food. Whatever. We'll handle it. And, and they come to him and say, we need a, we need a tax. What are we going to do? And look, God will provide it. If we need it, God will provide it. And Jesus was threatened. And people were after his life. And Jesus was like, you know what? My life isn't my own. As a matter of fact, um, it's going to be taken from me at some point. We're not going to worry about that. 
It's not going to be the thing that drives us or bothers us. These people that didn't uh, give us our due and, and his disciples are like, should we call down fire from heaven? Jesus is like, no. You know, Jesus was bothered by different things than, than the people around him were bothered by. You can tell a lot about a person by what bothers them, what makes them uncomfortable. That really struck me this week, and I just felt like, man, um, what bothers me? What should bother me? What should I get annoyed at? Uh, Mark chapter 10, we, we talked about this passage last week, but in Mark chapter 10, this rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and Jesus is about to tell him, like, if you want to be good, go sell all your money, give it, give it away. But when he comes up to Jesus, there's a real interesting thing, and he says to Jesus, um, good teacher, and Jesus says, why do you call me good? Why, why are you calling me good? There's only one who is good. And Jesus is really getting at this thing. He's saying, look, you've got to understand who I am in relationship to my Father. And later on, he would say, I never said or did anything that didn't come from my Father. I was, I was trying to harmonize with his will at all times. That, that was my goal. So why do you call me good? There's only one that's good. Now, here's the question that I was asking myself. If Jesus got it right and did everything his Father said, and, and asked him to do. And he had to labor so hard at it. Like, just spend the whole night praying. I've like only tried to do it once. Didn't work. Um, but Jesus would take all these times and he would spend the whole night praying and laboring and sweating and making people unhappy because he's choosing God's way over what public opinion wants. And Jesus is working so hard to get it right, to hear it right, to follow it right. And he was so much more able than we are. So how hard should we be working to do what God would want us to do and to say what God would want us to say? Right? That's my, that's my thought. It's like, wow, we might should be sweating twice as much, right? And here's the thing that came out of that is like, we call ourselves good Christians really quickly. We do. Oh, I'm a good Christian. What do we mean by that? We mean I go to church. Um, I don't kill anyone. Do any of those bad things. I vote Republican. Um, I watch Fox News. Um, I'm just joking because I actually like O'Reilly. Um, but but we, we confuse politics with Christianity. We, we, we really get bent around the axle about things that have to do with politics. Why? Because politics affect our lives. And it affects our taxes and it affects how things are going to be done and, and how society is going to work itself. And we know what makes us comfortable, what our what our desires are, what we think our worldview would say, and so we really want it our way. And that's not bad, but we mix this up with this. And the whole time while we're voting and while we're watching the news and while we're doing these things, the, the, great, the great irony is we actually cannot be giving our life away one iota. It's really easy to be that kind of a good Christian and absolutely not be storing your treasures up in heaven. I have the right kind of beliefs, 
and I vote the right kind of way, and I, and I think about issues the right kind of way, and, you know, it's real easy to do that, but still be living in this world. And so this is the thought that came to me. I was like, man, we should just get away from calling ourselves or even thinking about ourselves in terms of being a good Christian. I was teaching my atheism class this week, and, and there's one of the guys in there is just really disillusioned with the human race. I think rightly so, and really disillusioned with the human race. It's like people are, are always going to mess up. doesn't matter whether they're religious people, Christians, atheists. Well, everyone's going to get it wrong. Everyone's just messed up. And I think there's an honesty there. And he says, you know, we all, like, we can't get anything right. Anything we say we're supposed to get right in the Bible, we can't really get it right. And I said, I think you're right except for one thing. And I said, I think, I think we, can, um, we can get this one thing right. We don't have to be hypocrites. Because hypocrisy is not an action. It's, it's more of an articulation. If we go around thinking and saying we're good Christians, but the record is something else, that's hypocrisy. If we come into it going, you know what, I'm not a good Christian. I mean, Jesus even said, don't call me good, he's good. And Jesus is like so far beyond me, like I'm not a good Christian, but I'm an honest one. I know what I want to be, I know what I want to do, and I work hard to get there, but I know I fall down and I fail a lot, and so I'm not a good Christian. I'm an honest one. I think hypocrisy is something that we can choose, and to, to, to choose it, we have to see things rightly. And so here's the, the thought that came to my mind. I was like, man, it's, we do something really silly when we begin to think we're a good Christian, it's like going next to Mike Tyson, like sitting next to him on the plane. Hey, Mike. Oh, wow, you know, um, boxing. Yeah, boxing. You know, I hit really hard. I do. Man, I hit really hard. I had a punching bag when I was in high school, and it, like, got a dent in it after a long time. I hit really hard, you know. Um, who's that gal, Michelle Quant, that used to skate? It's like, uh, yeah, I, I skate. Um, yeah, Justin, I played the guitar once. You know, you don't stand in the presence of greatness at something. And, and, then, and then, like, a, you know, try and equate two things that you can't equate. And when we, we come to Christ, and when we're in the presence of God, it's, we need to understand how far we fall short of that glory and it's not a, now let me think that I'm a, a worm. It's, it's not even looking at myself. It's looking at the greatness of God and what grace actually is, that, that he still loves me. You know, I'm the kid that throws the football all wrong and strikes out every time I swing, but the dad or the mom or the whoever is there loving every minute of it. The problem is our understanding of ourself. We just need to admit that we're addicts. We need to admit we've got a problem. We need to admit that stuff controls us, that we worship it, that we dream about it, that we think about it, that we obsess about it, that our own comfort, 
that wanting it to all be our way and to be able to just sit back in that and be in that driver's seat and have it all there, that that dominates us. And that when we give to God a lot of times or go to church or do spiritual things, it's like the rich guy that tells his secretary to buy like a gift for his kid. It's, it's you know, checking the list. It's token. And a lot of our spirituality can be token. Why? Because it has nothing to do with our heart. It has nothing to do with where we're really at, what really is driving us, where we really want to invest our lives. It's, Jesus is like, man, don't be foolish. This is a bad investment. It's a bad investment. Look at me. Learn from me. Listen to me. This is where you want to be. So let's look at these verses of Romans real quick. In Romans, Paul says this. He says, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We're his children. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. If we share in the sufferings, it's not always going to be comfortable. If we share in these sufferings because we're giving our life away, we're not focusing on ourselves, then we're also going to share in his glory. And it says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Let's highlight that last sentence. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Jesus is not a, a weirdo that says suffer for suffering's sake. Like while you're in the car, like pinch yourself as you're, as you're driving down the road because you need to punish yourself and, and like inflict pain at every chance. And I, I, he's not a, a sadist that way. He's, a, he's an investment broker. And he's saying these sufferings here balance out so unbelievably well with the glory that's going to be revealed here that you'd be silly to invest in this that's going to end up here. And Paul says, look, these sufferings, these present things, these things I give away so that I have lack, so that I have deficiency, that, that, that going without, that people look at me and, and go, wow, that's a sacrifice. It must hurt. It must cost to always give, to pour yourself out. And, and Paul says, look, it's just par for the course because what I'm going to get is so much better. Do you know what it requires of us when we read that sentence right there? It requires faith, doesn't it? Paul is making a claim, and you guys are all sitting there on one side or the other. Any human that looks at that sentence sits there on one side or the other and says, is it true? Is this really so rock solid, so true, that I'm willing to give this stuff away and, and give my life away. What if it's not true? What if Paul's got it wrong? What if, what if it's not a good investment and I give my life away and I'm left with nothing? To me, this is the essence of Christianity right here. It's not about being good Christians that are checking check boxes and doing token things. Being a Christian is about faith. It's about, this is the only, I mean, this is it. 
It's all about this. Do we have enough faith to believe this, to believe Christ, to believe Paul, to believe scripture? The interesting thing here is I think, I think we want to, and I think that the amazing thing is when we're not cluttered with stuff, this is where we find God. The, the word comfort is really interesting. It's usually used as a verb. I'm going to comfort this person in their time of need. I'm going to encourage. I'm going to comfort them. I'm going to help bring them strength. We take comfort as a noun. It's, it's a product. It's a, it's a goal. It's, it's something we're striving for to, 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 to package it around ourselves and insulate ourselves from any kind of pain because we like to avoid pain. And the interesting thing is in Scripture, the word comfort usually always shows up as comforter, comforted, or the verb comfort. Because God says, and the psalmist talks about, and Jesus says that I will be your comfort. I will comfort you. I'm the comforter. And so if we begin to test God, like say, God, I, I, my, my faith is like so little, but it's little enough for me to take a step here. I'm going to give this away. I'm going to do this thing that's really going out on a limb for me. We receive comfort. God blesses that. He authenticates it. We begin to realize that the real joy in life doesn't come from stuff because we're always in this kind of paranoia that we're going to lose it or that we have to keep getting more and more. And we never really get to sit back and enjoy it because we're just obsessing all the time. And when we give it all away, all of a sudden life slows down a little bit and we're able to actually enjoy some things and go, wow, time goes differently this way. My relationship with God is differently this way. I can hear him and understand what's going on in my own heart so differently. I actually get to love people instead of seeing them as a means to an end. And God confirms this. And I think the way we get started, and that's why we have this whole pizza thing after church that I hope everyone stays for. This whole thing gets started by taking little steps of obedience. Little baby steps, like the movie with What About Bob, right? Little baby steps. And we call this... It was always called spiritual disciplines. It's prayer, it's fasting, it's, it's solitude, it's, it's finding ways to habituate ourselves for the right kind of life because we already habituate ourselves to the other kind of life. How do we habituate ourselves to this kind of life? And as Protestants, okay, which is what we are, we've com we completely lost this tradition with the Protestant break. Why? Because we, we got rid of monasteries, and we got rid of hierarchy in church. Well, the unthinking thing in that is we got rid of spiritual directors and spiritual direction. Like Jesus was a rabbi that had disciples. And the Protestants kind of put everybody on the same playing field. And so nobody's going to give me advice. I'm only going to take it from Jesus. And, and I'm not going to do like spiritual disciplines things. That's what the Catholics did. And, and so we kind of just developed this discipline-less Christianity. And so we got to get back to this in some sense. The, the greatest thing that ever happened in my life was working at a Christian summer camp up in the mountains where I began to learn solitude. Like, man, it was like the, the first time it was like five minutes and I was freaking out. Like five minutes, quiet, no radio on, like freaking out. And then by the time I was in grad school, I would go spend whole days at the Huntington Library in Pasadena, whole days walking around with my journal, with my Bible, and it changed my life. And we have to learn to grow into those things. I, my prayer life started with 
tying a little rope around my finger. Anyone ever done something silly like that? And then after a while, it didn't work anymore. It just began to be like fashion. And I was at the summer camp, and so little like, you know, um, fourth graders were like tying ropes around their fingers, and it's like, okay, this doesn't work. Then I put the little hourly chime on my watch, and every time that would go off, I'd stop and pray. And then after a while, like I didn't even hear it anymore. But it was like laboring over how do I train myself how do I discipline myself to, to listen, to see what God wants of me, what God's saying to me, so that I can try to live up to that? I'm never going to be good. I'm going to be honest. You know, I don't hit hard. I don't skate well. But I, I, I'm honest about I'm trying my best, but it falls short. But isn't it amazing that in this whole thing, I get to experience God working in and through me and get his grace. It's just an amazing thing. Um, Hypocrisy is a choice. It says in Romans uh, or it says in Matthew 8.20, this guy comes up to Jesus says, Jesus, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, really? Foxes have dens and, and birds have nests, but the Son of Man, myself, I don't even have a place to lay my head. You get what he was saying there? This guy's like, Jesus, I want to follow you. It's cool. I want to be on your team. I want to be on the club. How do I join? And Jesus is like, I, do you really know what you're asking for? I don't have any comfort. Even animals have more comfort than I have. And the guy kind of walks away. And what I get from this whole story is this. It's never convenient to give your life away. It's never convenient. It's like the person that stalls when they're learning how to dive and they stall on the end of the diving board and they're there for like three minutes. And they're just like, just wait, leave me alone. Just wait, wait, leave me alone. And it's like, what are you waiting for? You know, the water to rise higher and so you don't have to jump as far for the, you know, diving board to lower. Like, nothing's going to change. You know what I mean? And that person always turns around and walks off the diving board, right? They're waiting for more convenience. Convenience that's never going to happen. Jesus says to this guy, look, and in the very next verse is like, another guy comes and says, hey, I'll come back to you a couple years. Wait till I get out of debt. Wait till I get all my affairs in order. And Jesus is like, um, look, it's never convenient. You, you either come now, you either just say, this is my value, this is where my heart is, or you're not going to come. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. Like, you need to have a different set of priorities. It's never convenient to give your life away. It's never cool to jump off a diving board. You got you to gotta do it. You can't retreat and advance at the same time. Do you know that? I love uh, the Civil War. It's just a real interesting thing that came out of the Civil War. I mean, even the guys retreating, they don't fight well. They always kind of get into a panic and just start running, you know. But you can't retreat and advance at the same time. You're doing one or the other. And we can't make decisions in labor to get comfortable and give our life away at the same time. We can't seek to save ourselves, we can't look to gain our life at the same time we're looking to lose it. Those are, those are two antithetical things. Is, do, do we get that? Jesus says if you look for your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll, you'll gain it. And those two things are completely different. So we can't hide behind this idea of I'm going to be super comfortable and then do token Christian gestures and feel like, man, I love my life. My life is really good. I got everything I want and I get to feel really proud of myself. I'm a good Christian. I hit really hard. 
No, you don't. So in closing, let me just say this one more time. You can't enter the presence of God while you're rebelling against God. The band should probably come up. Um, You can't enter the presence of God while you're rebelling against God. Now, if we make God say a lot of things that are easy and that we like, then we can harmonize those two things and say, I'm not really rebelling against God, um, so I can come into his presence too. But if we really take scripture for what it actually says and believe it to be true, then we're faced with this reality that says, if we're seeking our own comfort, we're actually living in disobedience. We're rejecting what God has called us to. We're saying no. We're saying we don't believe that he's really going to make that work. And so A.W. Tozer says, you can't, can't enter the presence of God while you're rebelling against God. You want to know something really fascinating? I've never had anybody in this church or any church I've worked at come to me and ask me advice on um, which golf clubs to buy or what I think about different car models or whether they should buy a house or rent a house or how they should lose weight or what the best workout is for getting into shape or building muscles But I get a lot of people that will just come to me and say, how do I, what should I do in ministry? Or, or what's something I can, I can do? Or Without offending anybody, let me just say, let me just make my point here. My point is this. What you really care about, nobody wants my advice. If you really value something, if you really care about it, nobody even thinks about talking to me. Your Christian life should be no different. If you really care about giving your life away, if you really care about investing in the kingdom, if you really care about doing some kind of a, a role in this church, like you don't need me to figure it out for you. That's a real lazy way to do it. You're just looking for me to give you something comfortable and easy that you can check off your list. But if you're really invested in it, just like anything else, you're going to read up on it, study up on it, think about it, ruminate on it, pray about it. And you're going to make your own decision. You're going to keep your own counsel because that's what we do with the stuff that we care most about. I don't want anyone to talk to me about getting involved in Antioch. I want you to put your treasure where God would have you put your treasure. And you know what? All I'm going to be doing is encouraging and affirming and and blowing the whistle and, and pointing out wonderful instances of selfless people. Um, if you really care about it enough, you're going to invest yourself and you're going to figure it out. We can't enter the presence of God if we're rebelling against God. Father, we just commit this morning to you. We commit these last couple songs. We commit this, this time of fellowship after church with resources and opportunities and, and community. And we commit Sundays to you. Somehow, some way help us wean ourselves off of making it about ourselves and train us to make it about others. The church is only the church when it exists for others. We pray this in Christ's name.